0: welcome to the Circular Economy Show podcast from the Ella MacArthur Foundation. Over the next few episodes, we'll be featuring conversations from Summit 22, which this year had a focus on regenerative solutions. In this episode, we'll hear about the links between the circular economy, biomimicry and donor economics with Janine Benyus, the biologist, author and co-founder of the world's first bio-inspired consultancy, Biomimicry 3.8. Kate Rayworth, author of Donor Economics, Seven Ways to Think Like a Twenty First Century Economist, and co-founder of Donor Economics Action Lab, and our founder Ella MacArthur. Let's hand over to Lucy Parker from the Brunswick Group who hosted the session.
1: And I will kick off, I think, by asking an impossible question, Janine, in a body of work like yours, which is truly awesome. Could you, in a nutshell, tell us what it's all about? In other words, just in a a thought, what is at the essence of the idea of biomimicry? And crucially, why is it here today on the platform with you connected to circular economy?
2: Thanks, Lucy. Uh, Biomimicry is innovation inspired by nature. That's the simplest way to put it. Um, Our insight... (laughs) that we try to bring to people to remind us that a sustainable world already exists. (laughs) It's already been invented, it's right outside, and we go beyond metaphor, and we actually go and we ask the natural world for design, engineering, social innovation advice, and increasingly ecosystem and built world advice. We have a a company, Biomimicry 3.8, for 25 years we've been working with about 200 firms. We go in as biologists to the design table, and they give us a functional challenge. You know, a barge company, Ingham might say, we haven't redesigned our rudder for 120 years, so we go right to the experts, which are tuna, dolphin, penguin, insects that go through air, birds, anything that flows through fluids. And we look for patterns. And we bring those patterns back and we save people a lot of energy or we save, you know, we, we try to get people to move completely off, off toxins. So we've worked with Interface, major carpet company. Their biggest environmental um, sin was uh, glue. We got them off glue completely Brilliant. by looking at how geckos adhere. So that's so the a, kind of work that we do. It's amazing
1: because when I hear it, I really hear the practicality of what you're, you're doing. You're bringing it into the real, real yes. world. So, Kate, same and impossible question, Uh, it's a huge concept, do not economics. At its essence, what do you want us to take out of the idea and where does it link for you with the circular economy? It
3: starts by saying that every single student, every single student, young person that any of us know, when they are being taught economics, which means the art of household management... It should never begin like this with the supply and demand of the market. That is insane. It should begin with the living world. So that we start by understanding the household of which we're a part. And we recognize that there are life-supporting systems on which we depend. And these are the outside of the donut. Don't overshoot the limits of our planetary home. But at the same time, if 10 billion people are to thrive together on this planet, there's an inner limit of every person. We've called them human rights for decades. Every person has a claim to the resources they need for health and education and housing and community and voice and income. So, thriving is not endless economic growth. That is so last century. Thriving is meeting the needs of all people within the means of the living planet. And when I do it with my hands, it looks like a heartbeat. Mm -hmm. And if we can take what we know from human health, which is about thriving and balance, and take that to the planet, How do we now create an economy that thrives rather than tries to grow endlessly, no matter how rich we already are? We're in one of the richest nations in the history of humanity in this country right now, and yet we still are told by politicians and economists that the solution to our problems lies in yet more growth. There's an insanity to this. We need to learn to thrive. We need to create policies and business models and businesses that serve this goal. And it's really easy for me to sit here and say it. It's really hard to do. And, and we shouldn't use these words lightly. We shouldn't talk lightly about regenerative design because it's so powerful and beautiful and we haven't yet learned to do it. We are, as Janine would say, we are toddlers in the room. And let's celebrate that we're in the room, but we
1: are so in the process of right learning. Right at the beginning of the whole yes. whole thing. Yes. And, and Ellen, when you hear those extraordinary summaries of big ideas circular economy, where where do they fit? How do they align with the circular economy idea to you? We have to shift our actual economy, the way our economy
4: functions to thrive, to generate that regeneration. We have to get to that point. This isn't a a bolt-on or an add-on to what we Mm. do in our linear system. Mm. We need to redesign it. We need to know exactly what success looks like. We need to work out what that regeneration actually looks like for farming. Um, when you look at the technical cycles, keeping those products cycling so that they stay within the system, so they take the pressure off nature and we don't need to keep mining more. We need to understand what this looks like and then we need to get there. And we know we have to do this. You know, Is impossible impossible? No, it's not. Because we don't need new technologies to do the majority of this. We know how to do it. We need to set our goals to get us there. So in essence, it's the mindset shift is going from trying to tweak our current failing linear economy to rethinking
1: how a regenerative, restorative economy would look. So one of the things I'm hearing there is the sort of completeness of the tilt. It's really not just saying, let's do a few things and we hope we've fixed the problem we've got with this one. You're in different ways all saying tilt the whole thing over, redesign from scratch. This is a kind of noisy marketplace of ideas that we all live in today. And people are talking big ideas all around us. Are we being asked, I kind of know we're not, but I'd love to understand more. Are we being asked to choose between you? Are we being asked to choose, should we be following biomimicry? Should we be thinking about donut economics? Is it the circular economy? Is that a contest? How would you describe actually whether they're different or whether they're all pulling in the same direction? You're all pulling in the same direction. Kate, can I throw that to you? Sure.
3: For me, they are absolutely pulling in the same direction. And I have to say, it means a lot to me to sit right here in this sisterhood. We're two women who I've, I met Janine yesterday, I've just met Ellen just now, and it means a lot to me because their work has massively inspired mine. And I think we're speaking to the same vision coming in through different portals. So the donut, you can say, is a goal for where we want to get to meet the needs of all within the means of the living planet, Janine's work teaches us, and this is how the planet works. Can we learn from the best designers who've been around for millennia? And circular economy, to me, is one of the most powerful methodologies for getting there. We need to go from a degenerative system that we know we've inherited to regenerative by design. And these circular loops are, are a beautiful design print for us to start to understand, regenerate nature... Circulate technical materials and that's how we re-educate ourselves. So I see them as profoundly connected and I talk about them all together at the same time. Mm -hmm. Different people will find different ones powerful as an entry point but I hope as they enter they discover these and many other ideas that are interconnected. And what would be your take
1: on
2: that, Janine? Absolutely. it's These are portals people enter to find the same thing which is a vision of a world that works for all. Mm -hmm. Um, And... And the living world is at the center of many of our ideas, I think. Um, but biomimicry, for me, is kind of like the "how,-huh, the "how to do that. Yes. So if you're you know if you're looking at a world at a city that works for all, for instance, um, and that has circular uh, material flows and energy flows, you can't go. To any model better than an ecosystem for yes. that. Yes. So what we've been what we've been working with for about uh, over 10 years now, um, and some of the most exciting work that we do, is to say that any developer developing whether it's a it's a building and a site or a factory or a corporate headquarters, city block, city, that that developer should be able to go to a reference habitat next door, to the wildland next door, and perform in the same way. That is, this, the ecosystems next door are providing these gifts, these ecological gifts. They're storing water, they're cycling nutrients, they're sequestering carbon, they're supporting habitat. So we actually get quantities. I mean, this is where the how comes in. We actually get quantities, and we say, per hectare, this development that you're on, you should be able to store this much water, this much carbon, support this much habitat, build this much soil, block this much noise, cool this much temperature. And that design is the design for an economy that works for all, because it also happens to be a lush and livable place for people, and it's... It's inherently circular uh, it's interesting. by design. You, you put. Well, I was going to say by design. You'd by actually put uh, me
1: at the post yeah. because it's so fundamental to the circular economy by design. Yes. And you're saying let's learn from the natural world's yeah. design to make it circular. Because
2: it's different. You know, it localizes it.
1: It's yeah. going to be
2: a different set of economic opportunities and a different mm-hmm. set of circular opportunities depending on where you are. The ecosystem of that place has already figured that out. Mm -hmm. So, Ellen, we're here because
1: we're trying to make it happen. (laughs) And as, as you said, Kate, actually, it's not here yet. It's so easy to talk about it as if it existed, where in fact, we're at the foothills of trying to make it exist. So. What would you say, Ellen, about what we have to do now? Because those are huge concepts and we can see how they line up against one another. You walk in through an economics door, you walk in through a biology door, you walk in through a corporate change door, all ecosystems swirling around each other. What do we have to do now, Ellen?
4: Well, I think first and foremost, you have to know where you're going. And as I mentioned, you need to understand what success looks like and in its simplest form with the circular economy through eliminate waste and pollution, circulate products and materials and regenerate nature, that gives us a a really broad but fairly succinct guideline. So you need to understand what that success is. We need to get that place where the economy shifts from being linear and degenerative to one which is regenerative by design. That's clear. And in order to do that, we think we need three things. One is business-led innovation and design, because business is the majority of the economy. So that is absolutely vital. Second, collaboration across ecosystems. You know, Janine said, and, you know, e- we live in an ecosystem—the business ecosystem, the natural ecosystem. You know, the natural ecosystem has been tested for billions of years. It's actually quite good. <laughs> so that collaboration across ecosystems is vital. And you know, when we talk about you know the, the value chain, we have to link that together because that chain where things fall off the end can never work. Hmm. It never will. And then the third is we have to have enabling policies. And this is Kate's point. You know, you have the donut, you have the overshooting on the outside, and you have the people falling through the middle. Business can't capture all of that. If business is pulling in one direction through innovation and design, moving towards this circular model, that's very different as a scenario for enabling policy to come along because actually it's a win-win situation. If business is trying to get here and policy is trying to get us here, that's a different dialogue. And so that enabling policy is vital. And not everyone will be the front runners. You know, you guys in this room represent thirty-eight million employees globally. That is enormous. As Andrew said, two point two trillion US dollars of economic value in this room through through you and the network. It is Absolutely outstanding. We must not undervalue the impact that we in this room can have when we shift from
1: that linear to circular mindset and we're able to regenerate. And built into what you're saying there is scale. When we spoke, Mm. you said, yes, let's do it. But the key is let's do it at
2: scale. So how would you think we move towards scale? Pilot and replicate... um I always try to look for things that are going to be fractal, that, um, for instance, you know, back to this idea of factory as forest, we've been working with Microsoft and Ford, and interface with their facilities, producing, can humans produce ecosystem services? Yes, we can, through design. So that's one place. And so the question is, what does that really do for a watershed, hmm. right? Well. Success has to mean that once Interface or Microsoft or Ford does that, that they go and they knock on the doors of their neighboring businesses and ask them to also produce ecosystem services, support biological habitat, support pollinators. These are things that work best when it's pixelated healing, right? When there's a lot of it going on. So we often say, whatever part of the earth you touch, you can heal. And so then we ask, what lands do you touch? And corporates say, well, you know, I have a headquarters and I have factories. Oh, I also have supply chain. (laughs) What if there were positive ecosystem services being produced from all your supply chains because of you? A watershed better off because you're there. And then what else do you have? Oh, 48 million customers. What if you were to teach your customers how to create positive ecosystem services in their backyards or their balconies? What about your employees? Right, so it is something that I think that Ray Anderson used to call it the influence. Once you pilot something, it's not enough to make it lush and livable for your employees. It's, what, it's the arrows that go out to the community and then how many people can you influence to create more beneficial arrows so that the water leaving your whole city is cleaner than when it came in and the air is cleaner than when it came in. Then we're functioning like the forest next door and then we're at home on this planet. And that
1: is the power, really, of, of, of the corporate universe, is to create that knock-on yeah. ripple effect. And the
2: leaders are yeah. out there
1: doing exactly that, I aren't s- they?
2: I can see that. It's going to take a lot, but I can see it.
1: <laughs> yes, absolutely. And that's, I guess, what we're hoping for, is to turn that vision yeah. into a reality. Kate, I know you're also very much focused on the practical and you have the labs and so on. How do we get there in practice from concept to action?
3: So I find it so powerful hearing Janine speak to the possibilities of what a business can do. And I just want to reflect on the long journey that we are all a part of, of the mindset that we were told business should hold. I think we've come from a place where business was asking, how much can we get away with? Hmm. Then we got to, okay, how much do we have to do? (laughs) But what Janine is saying is a completely different question. How much can we possibly give back? And I think if we're going to make that transition from that, how much do we have to do to how much can we possibly give back? I think that the frontier of design is beyond the products. It's the design of business itself. Mm -hmm. And I think this is the space where the really important and exciting innovation is going to happen, and we're just beginning. So what is the purpose of a company? Why does it even exist What is it in service to in the world? How is it networking with its suppliers, with its own employees? How is it building those relationships and being generous through those relationships? How is it governed? Who has voice in decision-making? But crucially, how is it owned? Is it owned by its employees, by venture capital, by shareholders, by the founding entrepreneur, by a family? Because how it's owned profoundly shapes Mm. where finance is coming from what that finance expects and demands, how much it extracts for itself, and how much it reinvests in that generosity of purpose. So I'm listening today and looking for all the time examples of companies that realize if we're going to be regenerative by design, we need to go beyond redesigning our products. We need to redesign ourselves. Then we can be part of this transformation. That is where I think... The deep transformation has to happen and come from, and it's really exciting, especially seeing young companies that are being born into this. Talk to young entrepreneurs, startups, they know they, they'll talk to you about the design of their product and they'll immediately talk to you about how they're designing their board, their governance, their finance, their ownership. They're locking in the value so that it can't get captured, it can't get turned into a nice to have branding. It's their purpose. Mm -hmm. That's where the future is. So Mm -hmm. it's built in. It's built in, it's locked in, it's protected
1: so that it stays in service to its intention to be regenerative. Thank you. And Ellen, can I give you the last word? This is part of the mindset shift conversation for this part of the day. Can you just tell us in a nutshell what you mean by there's a mindset shift? This is non-trivial, isn't it? This is the whole thing you want to tilt over.
4: I think it goes back to both those points about... Why would a city not have water coming out of it cleaner than it coming in? Why would we not do that? Why would we have a business that degrades the world? When you think about the mindset shift, everything has to change. We have to go from the point where we're trying to fix what we have and make it last a bit longer to that massive opportunity to redesign the economy so it can work forever. And that involves all of this conversation and it involves a complete rethink and we need to get to the point where companies compete on their regenerational ability. Companies are competing on how well they're performing in the world. And young people are going into education wanting to make the world a better place, not thinking, how can we eat this out a little bit longer? That is a total mindset shift. You know, as Andrew said, is. we don't want to talk about the problem today. We, talk, we want to talk about the solution, because that's where it's at. Thank so you. for us, that mindset shift is shifting from extractive and cons- consumptive to making regeneration a byproduct of the way the economy actually functions. That's where we've got to get to.
0: So as we've heard, it's not a case of just making things last longer or making things less bad. We need to change the system and create a world that works for us all. We need to redesign the economy so it can work forever. If you'd like to find out more about biomimicry, donor economics and the circular economy, check out the show notes below. We'll have more conversations from Summit 22 next time on The Circular Economy Show. So make sure you're subscribed so you never miss an episode. See you next time.